wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. You know, my son Jonathan was saying that actually every day should be a Mother's Day. I also know that among us there are so many spiritual mothers, so I also want to thank you for all the work that you've done, you know, guiding spiritually our young ones, especially if you look at the number of youth that we have, it is so important to have spiritual mother and father. So I'd like to wish uh, and welcome back those of you who have been on holiday. I was uh, just talking to Gabby and she only had a one-week holiday while her parents are staying on for another week. So I was saying, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> but anyway, welcome back. Uh, today I'll be talking about addressing the Pharisees in me. Uh, probably, you know, the sound, can we reduce it a little bit? Yeah. You know, some people would say that the church is full of hypocrites. You know, that's actually not true, right? Yeah, actually, but we do have some, you know, and I would say the church is not empty of hypocrites as well. You know, actually, we can find hypocrites everywhere in the world because, you know, human, we have all sinned and we are from uh, fallen uh, nature and all of us are broken. So ideally, a church would be best is that, you know, we'd be full of people who, because we experience the mercy and the salvation from the Lord, that we live a transformed life that we would admit humbly that we are not there yet, but we are striving to be more like Jesus. And if we could be like that, I believe that the people would see the authenticity in, in the church and they would be attracted to it. So another issue that people have with the church is that we are just so legalistic. Can't we just you know, lighten up a little bit that's what some of my friends would be saying. You know, it is important for us believers to know what is commanded by the Lord and what is man-made so that we know what is important and focus on the things which is important, focus on the right issues. So I shall preach on this and the issues of pride in this message addressing the Pharisees in me. The passage is from Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 to 12. Let me read. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribe and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they, for they make the philanthropists broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, 
and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Before we continue, let's pray. I shall pray from Psalms 139. Oh, search us, O Lord, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Point out anything in us that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Father, be with us as we talk about these issues which you oppose us. Prepare our hearts, soften it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, our text today and from previous weeks regularly mentioned about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In a quick comparison will show that from a religious inclination, modern-day Christians are more like the Pharisees. Pharisees tends to be conservative, believe in supernatural, are ordinary people, acknowledge all of the Torahs, and derive their power and authority through the people. A closer look at the Pharisees will reveal even more similarities between evangelical Christians and Pharisees. Could we have the, the next slide? So if you look at the list, you see that you know, the, the Pharisees are separate, separated ones, right? So in the New Testament, we are, said, we are told that we are chosen generation, royal priesthood, in a holy nation, special people. The Pharisees are leaders of the religious movement. They also believe in personal piety. In this, you know, we are also told to be holy just as our God is holy. They believe that the Old Testament is as the authoritative word of God, just as we believe the whole Bible is the authoritative word of God, that God is active in history, and that God, you know, like we believe that God is in control. Yeah, they believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead and afterlife. They believe in missionary works. They believe actively bringing people to know God, just as we follow the Great Commission. So, but if you look at you know, uh, Matthew and the Bible, you could see that Jesus is very critical of them. In particular, two aspects of their lives, legalism and pride. And these are the two issues that many of us would need to address as well. Next. What is legalism? Legalism exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalists believe that they can earn or merit God's approval by performing the regulation of the law or the requirement of the law. So, in order to be really secure, uh, so that they do not fall short, the Pharisees, actually they added extra to the laws that God has given to them. You know, they call it oral laws as opposed to the written laws of God. However, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, God instructed the Jewish nation, do not add to what I commanded you and do not subtract from them, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So the Pharisees, they also added to their own interpretation and application to the laws and regard them as equally important to the law that God gave to Moses. 
The result is laws that is really you know, oppressive, not, not what God intended when he gave them the law. You know, in verse 4, Jesus said of the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. One example, and we talked about that many months ago, was the law regarding the Sabbath. The Sabbath law is intended for people's good, but by the time of Jesus, it has become so restrictive to the point that it forbid healing on the Sabbath. And as we can see, and we saw on Matthew chapter 12, you know, that makes Jesus really upset. What are the dangers of legalism? One is that it produces self-righteousness. A legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God affects their salvation. Legalist, legalism focuses on God's law more than the relationship with God. It keeps external laws with, uh, without a truly submitted heart. This is opposed to the gospel, which says that our way to God is through grace and not by our work. We are not good enough to justify you know, being right with God because God is just so holy and so righteous. We will always miss the mark, saved by the completed work of Jesus Christ. The second problems and dangers of legalism is that it distracts from the things that really matters. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and deals and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You know, so legalism, they are so occupied with the little things that it distracts them you know, from the things that really matters to God. Number three is that it separates us from other Christians. You know, I've seen Christians divided by, you know, minor, minor things that the people from outside the church, they'll look at us and say, hey, what's the matter with these people? And actually, sometimes Christians, we tend to be very critical. So, for example, let's say somebody comes in to, to GICF, and if they are not dressed properly, let's say if their skirt is a little bit short or or whatever, yeah? or if somebody comes in you know, and, and they are filthy looking and looks like they haven't like, taken their bath, what would we do? Probably many may shun them and say, okay, you know, I better I'll stick with the people that is more like myself. Okay? So these are things that divide it and it's unnecessary because basically you know, what uh, Jesus wants is that we practice hospitalities that we practice unity, we maintain the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And number four, about the dangers of legalism, is it promotes pride. You know, I'm better than them. Compared to them, you know, I'm holier, I'm more righteous. Which is really sad, because all of us have missed the mark. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. You know, there's nothing that we can do 
that will cause us you know, to, to be able to justify without, with God. And there's nothing you know, that we can be prideful about. You know, one thing I love about GICF is that GICF, you know, we've been around for 27 years. As non-denomination church, we have people from various church traditions, including people who previously had none. You know, their only church being GICF. I thank you, all of you, for preserving the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And this is even more amazing, given you know, that we are from different and multiple nationalities, you know, different race, different economic social strata, as well as different religious upbringing. I believe that one of the key factors, key reasons you know, uh, is for our unity is due to our ability to differentiate between essentials and non-essentials. You know, in, in essentials, we should have unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Yeah. Uh, or charity, or in the modern language, we say love. There, is a certain, there are certain essentials in our Christian faith, the Nicene Creed that lists them. You know, this, we must not depart these are the essentials, all right? And there are also non-essentials. You know, in a few weeks' time, we'll be preaching on eschatology or the study of end time. There are four main eschatological views and each proposed a different text on three key aspects to the end of the world. The millennium, the binding of Satan, the relationship between Israel and the church. And so these four views are amenalism and postmenalism and historical premenalism and dispensationalism. You see, you can see just how much you know, I talk about such things. <laughs> you know, my personal views are these are non-essentials. In this case, it's okay to believe in the interpretation. What is your interpretation? But please do not say that others' belief are false doctrine and put a fight over it, so much so that it caused disunity in the body of Christ. Remember to practice love and charity in all things. You know, we are encouraged in Philippians, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. After all, Jesus is the one that says that the world will know that we are Christian, that we are his disciples by our love for one another. You know, in JCF, we are blessed with a strong teaching team comprising of theologians, Bible scholars, and elders. We discuss and debate issues, but we also adhere to the above. I thank God for everyone's teachabilities and submissiveness. Often, even though we do not fully agree on the non-essentials, we will just listen to everybody's opinion yeah, and, then, and, and discuss and debate about the issues, and then we move on. Yeah, we do not need to have the same view uh, you know, as long as it is non-essentials. 
but for the essentials, those are important. Okay? Such a contrast to the world of division, even among Christians. We see many Christians, you know, they're fighting over each other for, if, as I said, you know, if the world looks in, they're saying, what are they fighting about? You know, don't they have the same Lord? Don't they have the same Father, the, the same Holy Spirit? So let's continue and make every effort to keep the unity. Okay, GICF? Many of the disunity church, uh, churches have a cause by what? By pride. This is the other problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. What is the sin of pride? If you look at the slide, it says the sin of pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance, achievement, status, or possession. This sin is considered rebellious, rebellion against God because it attributes to oneself the honor and the glory that only God is due. Pride is the opposite of humility, a character quality that is greatly pleasing to God and one he rewards. The Bible frequently talks about God humbling the pride or even to the, uh, saying that God opposes the pride, the proud. So, Pride is not easy to detect. You know, people who are proud will probably be thinking right now, you know, some of you will probably be thinking, well, it's not, this is not for me. I can switch off. This is for that person there or that person there, right? Or, or they may be thinking that they may just have a tinge of pride. And after all, you know, every one of us, we become pride, you know, proudful, pride, uh, or proud once in a while, right? So I just have one little tinge of pride, so what's the big deal? Okay, but the, the big deal, it, it says repeatedly that God opposes those who are proud. Do you want God to oppose you? So what are some of the signs of pride in our lives? We can see that in our text. From today's message, we see three signs of pride. The first one is being judgmental. The, the pride, self-righteousness, and arrogant people are quick to judge other people. So in verse 2, we read, the scribe and the Pharisees sits on Moses' seat. So what is Moses' seat? If you look at Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, it says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. So Moses sits is a place that Moses sits to judge. Okay, so you could say that, you know, one of the things about people who are pride is that they are judgmental. You know, did God ask us to sit around and judge others? I don't think so. Not unless, you know, your profession is a judge. But then you are also just interpreting and, uh, you know, carrying out the law. And I believe that outside, when a judge leaves the courtroom, you know, they do not uh, act as judge. They are not, uh, you know, judging others. Yeah, so uh, in uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, taught this. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you, you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the spike of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes. 
Take a look at ourselves. You know, men are all broken vessels. No one should consider themselves above others. One sign of pride coming into our lives is when we start to be judgmental over others. We feel that we are superior over others. You know, we'll be asking questions like, why can't they be like us? Why can't they behave themselves? Why don't they work harder? You know, some of these questions a proud person may ask. The second sign that one is prideful is when we live a hypocritical life. When we tell others how to live but not practice what we preach. We give advice to others but not doing it ourselves. You know, in verse 3 and 4, uh, talks about this. He says, For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulder. And they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. One really common problem that we have as Christians is that we behave and talk differently on a Sunday as compared to the rest of the week. And, you know, children, our children, they can see through that. They can, you know, and by the way, that's one of the main reasons why many Christian children are not following their parents' faith. You know, they could see the hypocrisy and the inconsistency in their parents' life. You know, a hypocrite would say and act like they have arrived. They do not need to improve anymore. Someone who is humble, they are teachable. They know that there's always room for improvement. You know, I, I love this story about Watchman Nee. You know, by the way, for those who are just too young, you know, well, actually, for me, it's even too young. Watchman Nee lives about, probably about 100 years ago in, in China. And he's one of those uh, you know, uh, deep scholars, someone who wrote a lot of influential books that even reach out you know, to the West. You know, people in America, Europe, they reach books written by Watchman Nee. And so when Watchman Nee was 17 years old, this is what happened. You know, his mother has always been uh, believers, okay? Had, you know, been, uh, well, I mean, she, she was a Christian. And so she attended a revival meeting. And after she attended that, she came back and she realized that like a few days ago, she, had, she actually was uh, punishing Watchman Nee for something that he he didn't do, you know, some kind of injustice. Yeah. As a result, the mother apologized to him. You know, 100 years ago, no uh, you know, respectable mother or father would apologize to their children. And so that caused Watchman Nee to be thinking, wow, what happens to my mother? How, why is she suddenly you know, so different? Yeah. As a result, he wanted to know more about what is the faith that she is believing in uh, that caused her you know, to be so transformational. Yeah. So I believe that this is a good encouragement for us so that we, you know, none of us is perfect. And the moment we acknowledge that, the moment we, we humble ourselves, you know, people around, including our children, they would be able to see as well. Yeah. So let's not act as if that we have arrived because when you do that, we have been hypocritical and that, and that is due to the pride that is in us. And the number three is a sign of pride is that we focus on the external to be seen by others. 
Verse 5 and 7 reads, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honours at, at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. Phylacteries is, you know, broad. What does it mean? You know, it's something, if you look over there, you can see, you know, the, the Jewish people, when they are praying, you know, uh, during the festive time, they would wear something on their head here. It's like a small little box. It's supposed, you know, to keep Scripture, so to remind them about the law of God. But then what happens is some make it a little bit bigger, you know, to show, you know, I'm more religious, you know, I know the law better. I'm more pious than all of you. And so that's what Jesus was criticizing them about. Yeah. And so societies, you know, increasingly now we are focusing on the external. A quick look at some of the basic things, such as like finances, uh, families, and faith will reveal that. You know, finances, people spend so that they look good. They buy expensive cars so that externally people look at them and say, wow, he has arrived. Yeah. People give only when they are recognized, when their name is put on a hall or when, when people say, oh, I, let me introduce you to our, 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 our generous sponsors. If, if they are not announced, some may not give. Some, like families, you know, I, I just got back from holiday in Bali with my family. And for a couple of days, we were staying in a hotel that, you know, 20 years ago when my children, they were growing up, we were just having so much fun. We thought, well, let's just live the old days again. You know, let's spend a couple of days at that hotel. Yeah. I was just noticing the things that's different in the hotel. Okay. 20 years ago when I was there, there's no places where you take Instagrammable pictures, you know. Now, you know, there's many places where you can go and take and then post it on your Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, why do people do that? Sometimes people do that, and not all of the people. Yeah. Sometimes people do that just to show that from the external that I'm there, I've arrived. I'm able to stay in this place. I'm able to enjoy this experience and so forth. Yeah. Again, let, uh, I'm not saying that everybody is doing that, okay? Otherwise, you know, I could get into trouble. <laughs> But, uh, but this is the trend that's happening in our societies, that people are focusing not on the things which is internal, the things that God looks at, but focusing on things which is external. Even uh, when it comes to faith, you see sometimes people go to churches, different churches. Why do they go there? They go there because this church represents the people that they love to associate with. Sometimes we hear people talk about, oh, I go to this church, and you know who else goes to this church? This person, this person, this person. Wow, people, that's impressive. Yeah, but again, this is focusing on the external. And focusing on the external, actually, and this is what our society has got into, you know, focusing on the external. And that could explain the phenomenal growth of uh, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so instead of pride, this is what Jesus said. He says that, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. 
and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let me repeat the last two verses. He says, you know, this is what Jesus uh, said. Okay. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, Micaiah uh, 6 verse 8 states that what does the Lord requires of us? He says that he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord requires of you is to do uh, justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. So we are commanded to humble ourselves. So what causes us to exalt ourselves? I believe that many times it's determined by how we see ourselves. You know, who are we? Who am I? What determines our actions is often the results of who we think we are. In this world, our identity is determined by our ability, our skills, by our occupation. You know, people, when they ask you, meet you, they say, uh, what do you do, right? And they, then from there, they will kind of like think, okay, this person, that's his occupation, and so forth, right? So by our occupation, by what sort of jobs? Are we in the executive jobs, unskilled? Are we unemployed? By our position in society, are we in the upper, middle, lower level of our society? In verse 8 to 10 of our text, Jesus speaks against calling ourselves rabbi, father, and instructor. He's not against a son calling a father, you know, father. I believe that these three verses is to remind us that, that we are not found, what we are not fundamentally that we have God, the Father, who is our Father. We have Jesus Christ, who is our instructor. And we have the Holy Spirit, who is our true teacher. You know, in uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way that seems right to men, but its end is the way to death. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we got so caught up with the things of this world that we use the standard of the world, you know, to determine who we are. You know, so let's say if I'm a successful, you know, rich uh, person, you know, elder in the church and so forth, pe people say, oh, well, he has made it. But in the eyes of God, that's not the case. You know, if as a result I become prideful, then what did the Bible say? The Bible says God opposed the proud and he, hum he loved the humbles, yeah, those who are in, uh, you know, humble. So who are we? Our fundamental identity is that of a child of God. In, in first, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how much the Father loves us, that we are called children of God. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So we are children of the Most High, not by what we have done, but by what God has done for us. And so that's our identity. Our identity is not as one of an instructor, of a guru, of a father, or, or, or a businessman, or a certain level of a society, but our fundamental identity is being a child of God. And so what does God wish for His children? In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we read that His desire is for us to be conformed 
to the image of his son. Let me read that. Uh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So how do we do that? How do we be conformed to be like Christ? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. People often look at the church, for example, uh, and, and are often disappointed. This is because they look at the wrong person. They look at the followers of Jesus. But in fact, what they should be doing today is that they should look to Jesus, who is the perfect one, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Likewise, for us, you know, we should look to Jesus as our, our example and, you know, uh, and strength and not to men. That, my friend, is the answer to our inconsistency, our pride, our hypocrisy. So instead of looking at our abilities, occupation, and position in, in our society, we should fix our eyes upon Jesus. How do we fix our eyes upon Jesus? In the passage on the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11 and so forth, it asks us to do the following. It asks us to remember Him, to commemorate, and to do that often. You know, and there are five ways we can do to fix our eyes on Jesus. I always believe that it is an easy way. One is that we look back, okay, and then we look up, and then we look uh, around, and then we look forward, and finally we look in. Okay? Let me explain what I meant by that. So we look back. Look back at what? We look back at the cross of Jesus. We look back to the life and death of Jesus. Uh, culminating to the cross. You know, we see His love for us as sinners. When we truly have a clear vision of the cross, we see God's righteousness and holiness. We just see how well, well our sins are. We see how offensive we were, how much we need a saviour. Then we understand that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. If we truly understand this, there's no way we can remain a proud person. How can we be judgmental when we are so gloriously safe? And number two, when we look up, when we look up, what do we see? We see Jesus seated at the right hand of God, that the Father has placed everything under Him. When we look up, we see God's, Christ, you know, uh, God's resurrection power, we see Jesus' splendor and we see His glory. Why, what is it that we have that causes us to be so proud and arrogant about? It is nothing compared to the riches and glory of the Lord. What power do we have that causes us to be so proud and arrogant? It is nothing compared to the power that resurrected Christ from the dead. So looking back and looking up at Jesus will stop legalism. Why? Because when we realize that Christ has accomplished a completed work of salvation and there's nothing else that one can do and need to do except to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then all these ideas about earning our salvation 
adding laws to what God has, 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 has given, it's all demolished. However, sometimes, you know, prideful people will still like to add <laughs> their work. They will say that com- salvation is not complete, still need them to do their part to justify it. That, my friend, is ego. E-G-O. And, that's, and that says what? E is aging, G, God out. Aging God's out. You know, basically, you're saying that, you know, what Christ has done is not enough. It, he needs you, you know, He needs us to make it complete. And my friend, ego, that is pride. And then when we look around, we see His works. Among other things, we see God's creation. Nothing that we can achieve is even comparable. We work with what He has created. Nothing originates from us. We work with what God has already created. And sometimes we see people say that they're self-made men. I mean, what is it that you make? If, because everything is created and made by God, right? You're just taking something that, you know, God has given to you and you just, you know, alter it a little bit, you know, add certain things to it, and then you say you're self-made. Again, you know, when someone says they're self-made, that's pride. And then when we look around, we marvel in His faithfulness, in His provision for all our needs, and that nothing is too difficult for Him. When we look at His people, the strength of His love and cares for all of us, it just makes us humble. You know, when we see God's faithfulness, what can you do except to be humble? And then when we compare our inconsistency with God's continuous faithfulness, that His faithfulness, even when we are not, it humbles us. We cannot be proud when we look around and fix our eyes on the works of Jesus. We should also look forward. We are not citizens of this world. We are just passing by here. As followers of the Lord Jesus, my mission in life is to hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. So even though you know, we'll be safe from eternity in hell, we will still need to give an account of our lives here on earth. The superficial outward things that we hold so dear to, they will be burned up. The things eternal that survive, you know, uh, the things that survive will be one that you know, when it's tested by fire, it survives. And what are those things? Those are the things which are the things of God and the things that we do for God. Those things will last for eternity. You know, things like our position in this earth, the riches, the knowledge acquired in this earth, they will count for nothing. So in view that we have to give an account for ourselves at Judgment Day, what should we do with our life, including those, uh, I mean, including those that God uh, well, the, the thing is, what should we do with our life? What should we do with the things that God opposes, including pride? Finally, the last thing we need to look is to look inward and examine ourselves. In Psalms, um, 
chapter 139, verse 23, 24 reads, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thought. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. For that, God has given us his holy word and his Holy Spirit. In Hebrew chapter 4, verse 12, it reads, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-aged sword. It penetrates even to the uh, dividing souls and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitude of, a, of the heart. So how can we examine ourselves? We can examine ourselves by constantly you know, reading the word of God and understanding what is, you know, what is it so that uh, the things that are offensive to God, the word of God will, convince, uh, will convict us. And the other one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, for it reads, For I know a person's thought except their own spirit. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thought of God except the spirit of God. We should submit to the living word of God and through our great teacher, the Holy Spirit, and ask him to examine and cleanse us of our heart. So actually, many of us may not realize that we are proud, but when we look in, and contemplate on how we should live, you know, many times then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scripture, the Bible is able to convict us. Yesterday, I had an argument with someone that I love uh, very much. It's over a small matter. Initially, my thoughts is this, that it is the other person's fault. I am the victim. However, as I examine myself through the lens of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, I was convicted that of my part and my fault in this matter. I realized actually that pride plays a big part in it. Why can't I be meek and humble like my Lord Jesus Christ? I was reminded of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Let me read this. This is one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. It says, Have this mind among you, which is Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a things to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Holy Spirit convicted me as I look back to the wondrous cross of Jesus. As I look up and see and marvel at Jesus' grace and holiness, as I look around, and soak in at God's continuous provision and faithfulness despite my frequent sin and failure. As I look forward, I ask, what should I do in light of his imminent coming? So as I fixed our, our eyes upon Jesus, I was reminded once again of his great love and mercy for me, a sinner. It causes me to say, thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And of course, it cannot just stop there. 
I repented and asked forgiveness from the Lord as well as the person whom I offended and grieved. So my friend, let's continuously fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we remember the old songwriter who wrote this, that turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will go strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that displeases you, empowers us, Father, to kneel them to the cross. We pray that our hearts will be purer and purer and our lives holier and holier as we seek to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to fix our eyes upon him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.